Way, 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 way for the barbarian king, the guest of the Tisrock, may he live forever. Way for the Narnian lords. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast. We are doing a chapter by chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. And I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us today. Just a reminder that today we are going to be talking about the third book in the series, The Horse and His Boy, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnian series, as well as a heads up that we do go on to tangents into other stories and just other aspects of our life. So we'll do our best to you know, give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are going to be discussing The Horse and His Boy, Chapter 4, Shasta Falls In with the Narnians. He does. I fall in is is strong. That kind of makes it sound like he did it on purpose. He's it's not a Narnia book without some kidnapping, Cal. It always boy, boy isn't it. And it's also not a Narnia book without some tumness kidnapping or smuggling or you know, whatever. He's at least mildly involved. Uh but yeah, I'll give us a quick summary. So Shasta and the crew come upon the city of Tashban an island in the middle of a river surrounded by high walls, one of the wonders of the world. In the middle of the city, the Tisrock's palace rises above on a hill alongside the great temple of the god Tash. It's, it's all super cool. As they approach the city, they hear the sounds of horns from the city gates being opened. Erevis has to droop her shoulders, and Bree has to lower his head to appear less noble, and they come to the river's edge and the many-arched bridge entering the city and join a crowd of other peasants waiting to pass through the city gates. At this point, Erevis reflects on how this entrance is not worthy of her status, and and uh, clearly Shasta doesn't really get it because he's a poor. But meanwhile, the rest are just hoping they're going to get through without any questions. Inside the gates, Tashban doesn't seem as splendid as it does from a distance. It's crowded with narrow streets and horrid smells. Bree leads the way, nudging Shasta in the right direction, and they zigzag up towards the center of the city. And everywhere they went was crowded, and they were constantly slowed down by Tarkins and Tarkinas, whose entourages would part the crowd and stop everyone, because the only rule in Tashban is get out of the way for the important people. Uh, the most disastrous of these stoppages, though, comes near the top of the hill near the Tisrox Palace, where they are stopped for the barbarian kings, the Narnian lords. Uh, the crowd got packed really tight, and Shasta lost hold of Bree. Oh no! And as the Narnians pass through, they grab Shasta, saying, Hey, you're the runaway we've been looking for. Prince Corin, where have you been? And Shasta couldn't really explain that he was not the one they were looking for, so they take him with them. One of them must have been a Narnian king, based on the way the others spoke to him, and kept asking where Shasta had been and what had happened to him. And Shasta didn't say anything because he didn't know what to say. And the king said it was not becoming of someone of his uh, blood as the prince of Archenland to not answer. They led Shasta up to a nice house away from the noise and this nice room full of rich, colorful rugs and rich people. And someone came up to him calling calling him Corin, saying it was naughty that he had ran away and that he could have started a war. The two royals who had been speaking to him are revealed to be King Edmund and Queen Susan of Narnia. And also, Mr. Tumnus is there, just in case you've read The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, because why not? 
Mr. Tumnus points out that Corin has been in the sun and clearly doesn't know where he is. So they stop scolding Shasta and he gets to lay on a really comfortable sofa and drink from a golden cup. And Shasta wonders how he will get to the tombs to meet up with his group and where the real Corin might have gone. He also overheard King Edmund asking Queen Susan if she was going to marry Prince Rabidash of Calorman. And she says she really doesn't want to. It's not a good vibe. He's super arrogant and mean. And now she's seen who he really is now that she's been with him in his own country. Uh, they all agree they should leave Calorman at once. But at this, Edmund gets super serious, says to look for spies at the door. And that's where our chapter ends. The theme of this chapter is dichotomy or contrast. We're going to be looking just at a, at a lot of the contrast, and we kind of open right up with some some dichotomy. Yeah, it, this chapter really starts setting the scene of Tashban, right? And it's where it begins. From the, the distance, it's this beautiful city on a hill in the middle of a, ri- of a river, a world wonder. Then you get inside, and it's crowded and messy, and it, it smells like poop. Yeah, it's uh the the island of the island city of Tashbit. Island in the sea. Uh it's the illustration in the book makes it look like a mixture of I'm gonna go real Lord of the Rings here. Uh it looks like Lake Town mixed with Minas Tirith. Like it's like a like a big hill with all of the like buildings going up, but it's also in the middle of a lake or like in the middle of these rivers. So like he's just here we are again, just stealing more things from from J.R.R. Tolkien. But yeah, it's it's this uh, it's this crazy How do you build in the middle of a river. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we don't know how they made it, but it is what it is. Uh, but the fact is, they're here. They're excited to be here. At least Shasta is. He thinks it's really neat. And Bree is like, nope, would rather be in Narnia. Doesn't care. Unimpressed. Uh-huh. Yeah, it kind of felt like a classic tourist versus local mentality, right? Oh, like to yeah. shop new, it's worth looking at. Oh, ah. Whereas Bree is like, nah, this is fine. Let's get to the other side. It's like very dad at Disney World. Like, let's just get to the line. Let's just get to Space Mountain. I'm tired of being here. Uh, that's a, uh, yeah. So they they make their way through the city and they hear the uh, the horns blow for them to open the gates and as they're doing this, Bree is like, all right, Erevis, uh, you're going to need to droop your shoulders and, you know, try to look less like a princess. And she's like, well, uh, and he's like, act like you've been kicked and, and cuffed and called names all your life. And she's like, well, why don't you droop your head a bit and, you know, stop arching your neck and uh, stop looking like a war horse. And he's like, hush, don't, we, we don't need to talk about that. Quick, everyone, act less rich. Not you, Shasta, you're fine. <laughs> Shasta, you're, you're poor. Uh, no one's gonna think any differently about you, uh, which is more or less a theme of this chapter. Um, oh, sure. And Erebus really clear. <laughs> yeah. She's like, look, you wouldn't get it because I should be carried through here by servants, whereas you're clearly in your place. Yeah, I want to. I want to read this couplet that Chase just mentioned because it's it's a rough look for Erebus. Like she goes, so Shasta's like, hey. Is anything wrong? He's being empathetic. He's, you know, recognizing Erebus is distraught. Uh, and she goes, oh, it's all very well for you. What would you care about, Tashban? But I thought to be right, I ought to be riding in on a litter with soldiers before me and slaves behind and 
perhaps going to a feast in the Tisrock's palace, may he live forever, not sneaking in like this. It's different for you. Whew. That's some, some real elitism here. Yeah. Girl, if you want to be a Tarkina, go ahead and stay in Tashman and marry an old dude. Like, I yeah. thought the whole of this was getting to the other side. And, like, <laughs> yeah, like, not celebrating, you know, slavery and, and like, being pumped about that. Uh, but he he's, you know, contemplating all this, and um, she's complaining that, you know, people should be saluting her, and, like, they should, you know, be praising her. And then Shasta gets ridiculed. He gets a carrot thrown at him. Uh, hey, and- horse boy, you'll catch it if your master finds out you've been using a saddle horse for hack work. What? What, uh, what, what accent was this, Chase? <laughs> Who knows? Who could say? Who could say? It's interesting. I always thought the from Game of Thrones. I always thought the Calarmines were like Middle Eastern, but apparently they're like like a rough British. Yeah, just a little bit cockney, you know. <laughs> Not a cockney, but a little bit cockney. A little bit. Uh, but he he gets ridiculed, and it says Shasta cried. And like then he you know speaks out against him. He's like you know, hey, I'm supposed to be here, and then they hit him in the side of the head. Uh, like just super rude, and they're just like, "Take that, you young filthard!" Talking back to me, and he just said, "It's my master's orders." That's what he said. Chase, is that talking back for a slave? I guess. Like, but then he goes, "Shasta tried." A lesson he learns later this very chapter. I guess. Uh, he goes, "Shasta cried only a very little amount. He was used to hard knocks." That's mm-hmm. very sad. Our talk life for True. us. For us. Um, but yeah, so uh, we we get through this whole episode and, uh, you know, he gets hit in the side of the head. And then we actually get to see the inside of Tashban. And like you mentioned, it's super gross. Uh, it's, it's a lot more like slums. It's a lot more crowded. It's a lot more poverty than it kind of looks like on the outside. But the thing that they notice, Chase, is it's a lot more smelly. Uh, and these are the smells are unwashed people, unwashed dogs, garlic, onions, and piles of refuse everywhere. Mm. Mm. Yum. That's Gotta love it. That's, that's where I want to be. Yep. Yep. That's a good time. But uh, look, at least they've got a guide in Shasta. I mean... No, wait, no, that's Bree. Bree is leading the pack. Yes. Uh, which human has to act like he's in charge while a horse is actually in charge. What uh, What is this? Bojack Horseman? But, uh, is this the crossover episode? Classic. Uh, but we, so they, again, they keep making their way through through Tashman. And then we come to these traffic laws, Chase. Uh, and I want to talk about this real quick. Uh, I mean, because... Only one traffic law. There's really there's only one rule in Tashban, and that's that no one talks in Tashban unless you're more important than other people. Um, I think that's the rule. No, it's uh, so they're going through the streets, and they realize that this traffic rule is that you just make way for someone who's more important. So they keep yelling out, "Make way for the Tarkin! Make way for the Vizier! Make way for the Tarkina!" All these things, um, and. Like, one, their right-of-way laws are are crazy. This is bound to end up in mass pile-ups. I mean, it it's basically the roads in Dallas. Like, yeah. get out of the rich. 
I like to think, so my personal right-of-way laws are whoever could inflict more damage probably should have the right-of-way. So, like... But that that gives all the power to the angry truck people. And the angry truck people is is a whole vibe that I'm not super here for. Hey, like, I'm just saying, if you're, like, you can decide do you want the right-of-way ahead of that angry truck guy, but what if the angry truck guy doesn't stop who's gonna die in this situation i mean fair but have you ever felt the pure uncut bliss of slowing down when you're driving in front of an f-250 have it's you ever have you ever felt the frustration of having a giant f-250 or an 18 wheeler tailgate you uh, on the highway so, it's one of the few times i get road rage so my thing is, so it's a, it's like a, it's like, you know, how fish, it's like the symbol of other fish eating fish where it's like the bigger fish eat the smaller fish. So like, you know, 18 wheeler has precedence over F-250, which has precedence over small cars, which have precedence over bicycles, which have precedence over pedestrians walking on the street, uh, which they shouldn't do because they're pedestrians. Uh, but this Although is my... I feel like if I learned anything from driving school way back when, it's that pedestrians have the right of way. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I learned that uh, at the University of Texas, where uh, pedestrians can more or less do whatever they want, uh, and yeah. there there is energy no ramification. Oh, bring that's an energy I still bring every time I'm in a city. Is just you know what? I'm just gonna walk because you know they're gonna stop or they're gonna hit me. And what I'm are gonna they gonna do? Hit me? Yeah. They yeah, could. I will. I will win that lawsuit. So, or you'll be I'm, dead. I gotta get it's yeah, it's tough, man. Um, but so their their traffic law is to make way for the more important people, uh, and this leads to a lot of traffic issues and social ones because how are you supposed to determine who's more important? Uh, that's that seems very objective in a lot of ways. But Chase, oh, yeah. the the greatest traffic jam that they're going to come about is for make way make way for the narnian lords uh and do we want to get into how they're actually referred you you quoted this in the opening chapter quote yeah confession for the listeners did alter that that was not a true quote had to had to take out the fact that uh they call them white barbarian lords which is you can't, you can't figure out what to do with that other than just say, that's in this book. It's there. Um, it is a uh, part of the whole. It is. It's something that there it's, it is an interesting thing. And, you know, um, they'll get into this uh, a little bit later um, with, you know, the comparisons between Narnia and Calarmine, but Narnia is a much smaller nation, much less like, advanced as a civilization uh and so like from the barbarism standpoint it's it's interesting and we can get into that more later as they talk about it but it's also it's also just not a great look uh you you just want to avoid uh you know this this kind of labeling uh it's not not great on either side so we just uh not a fan but they uh you know shasta is trying to make way for these for these you know narnian lords who are you know yet to be yet to be named? Um, 
he's trying to get you know Bree to back up, but no horse, especially not a talking horse from Narnia, backs up easily. And I'm sure there's a metaphor there. Um, but who, who knows what it could be? Who knows what it could be? But it sounds it sounds cool. Like hey, Narnian horses don't back up easily. Uh, yeah. Or, so don't tell me. Yeah, yeah. The the Narnian party though is contrasted with the rest of the crowd luckily in more ways than just their skin color um we don't harp on that too much yeah but they're they're on foot which whereas all the other like quote-unquote important people are being carried by slaves and and like being more forcefully parted for uh they're on foot which kind of shows a little bit of humility they're all laughing like friends uh they've kind of got this pleasant vibe about them that no one else in Kellerman has. It's just kind of good vibes. And uh, it kind of felt to me like a group of Southerners walking through New York city. Oh yeah. Moving a little bit slower and actually happy to be there. Whereas everyone else is just get out of my way. Um, Yeah. They're, uh, they're just happy to be there. They're saying good morning. Excuse me. You know, thank you. uh, You know, hello. Uh, and just, you know, random things like that, uh, that people who are in a rush just don't seem to have as much uh, time for. But uh, they're they're walking through, and, you know, Shasta thinks that, you know, this is the loveliest thing he's ever seen in his life. And then all of a sudden, the leader, uh, who we will find out later, is King Edmund. Super cool. He just scoops up Shasta and is like, ah, our little runaway. And they, you know, he just takes him uh, and, like, he's like, yeah. Uh, And he's just like, Queen Susan has been crying uh, all night. uh, And, you know, you're, like, how dare you run away and, like, be so truant and and all of these things. And, uh, hey, return of the Edmund, you know. He's back. Return of the Ed. Uh, I mean, I I don't give him as much blame as we gave Tumnus because he at least thought that this kid was with them. Sure. It it wasn't all out. Like I'm handing you over to an evil dictator kind of kidnap. And like, are we, are we ready for some major spoilers for this book? Uh, I feel like we could save that for next. We'll save that for next one. Cool. Cool. So Shasta gets mistaken for, uh, the, Prince of Archenland, his name's Corin, uh, that, you know, all night Susan has been crying for. And he is, he is at a, he is finding a little bit of a contrast in himself because he, he wants to explain the, the situation. He wants to explain the mistake that's been made, that he's not this guy that they're looking for. But he also doesn't want to explain why they're in Tashban and get like, you know, him and Erevis sold back into slavery. So that, so he's he just decides, you know what? I'm just going to stay silent. I'm going to stop talking. And yeah. that's what and he does. It's honestly one of the biggest bummers of of the chapter of the book be, because Shasta doesn't realize that the Narnians are different from the Calamines, right? Mm-hmm. In reality, Shasta could have spoken up and asked for help, explained that, no, I'm not that guy, but we're actually trying to get to Narnia. And in all likelihood, there's a good chance that the Narnians would have gladly welcomed all four of them into their party and just taken them with them. But it's easy for someone in Shasta's position 
not to trust people who are wealthy and powerful, the, the royal class, because he's seen how that group of people treats everyone else in society, in the place that he lives. And so he has no reason to actually trust them. Yeah. But uh, if he had, like, this is a really big missed opportunity. Like, these are the people in charge of the place you're trying to get to. Yeah. Like, the this... whole thing they've been saying the whole time is to Narnia in the north. And here is another group of people saying, back to Narnia in the north. Yeah. Could have uh, could have ended this, this book about two-thirds earlier. Um, but that's okay. Because uh, now we get more book and we get more story. Uh, and yeah. so he decides to remain quiet. As uh, even as Edmund kind of reprimands him a little bit, and he reprimands him unknowingly uh, because he, again, he thinks that he's this Prince Corin guy, um, and he's like, "Hey, this is not how the Prince of Archenland acts. Uh, this is, and this is a kind of a rough look again because this, like, this is not how someone like the Prince of Archenland acts, uh, and you know, this is more like behavior for like a Calarmine slave, which is spot on, but also kind of racist." Uh, yeah, wrong, but could you not say it like that? Yeah, like, that's exactly what Shasta is, but also maybe, like, you know, rephrase this a little bit so that you, you're you not just passing a lot of, like, racial judgment here. Uh, but Shasta is, again, he's bummed because he wants to make a good impression because, you know, these people do seem very kind and they seem like the nicest kind of grown-ups that he's ever met, but he still remains silent because he doesn't want to give anything away. He doesn't want to, uh, you know, he, he can't make himself share things with grownups because that's a, it's a habit that he's formed. Yeah. And again, I think it's totally fair that he's formed that habit. It Absolutely. makes sense. Sympathize with them, but also, yeah. uh, it's a bummer. bummer. Yeah. But what else is there, that, uh, Tumnus is here. Man, it is that is a bummer. But so we 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 he makes his way through, and he's you know uh, they they make their way back to their their staying quarters, and uh, we see Shasta sees Susan, the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. Uh, so you know, good on you, Susan, I guess. Uh, and did she sure. is upset? She tells Corin why he she she's so upset at him, and she was so distraught and. Uh, because, you know, what would his dad have done? Like she, you know, she, all these things. Um, and then the person I thought we were done with, Chase, I honestly did not remember that Tumnus was in this book until he showed up. And I was like, oh, man, like, I thought I thought we were done with you. And you but yeah, keep coming back. But also, just in case the listeners have not read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the most important and popular and well-known book in this series. This is the seri- very same Fawn, Tumnus by name, whom Queen Susan's sister Lucy had met on her very first day when she found her way into Narnia. But he was a good deal older now, for by this time, Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy had been kings and queens of Narnia for several years. Yeah. Just in case you weren't sure whether time had passed. It was, uh, like... I still am just like, why, why do we need Tumnus in this book? Like, why do we need Tumnus at all? Like, he just, uh, you know, is not great. But he does recognize that uh, the little highness, who is uh, that's that's Shasta slash, you know, the fake Prince Corin, uh, 
the, the little highness has had a touch of the sun. Look at him. He's dazed. He doesn't know where he is. And I think this is actually apt that they have Tumnus here for this because he is the expert of knowing when a child is not in their right state of mind. Uh, yeah, that he's very interacting with kidnapped children. So he's yeah. trained. He's trained to know what a kid who uh, is near exhaustion, who's potentially been drugged, looks like um, from personal experience. Uh, so sure. I guess I guess they did need Tumnus for this. Uh, yeah. So I guess. Nathan travels with half of their group, not even including Lucy, on diplomatic mission, just in case they have to deal with drugs children. Yeah, kidnapping, smuggling, the things that he has, you know, got some good experience in. But I do think it's funny. What's up? As we'll see next chapter. As we'll see next chapter. He's got a great plan for smuggling. Uh, But they, they all bring out some food and everything, and uh, Edmund and Susan start to engage in a conversation about whether or not she's going to marry the Prince Rabadash. Uh, and uh, she just she declares that she is vehemently against it, uh, something that makes Edmund glad. And they talk about how he's, you know, a cruel man. He's not good. He's very different from what they uh, once knew and, you know, when he first met them. And, uh, you know, we talked about this when in our Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe final chapter podcast but uh, i guess this is the point in time where they haven't gone full king james version yet so this is like new king's james version like they they still use some vowels but they're not using some like crazy words yeah it really makes you question what the point of that at the end of the last book was but uh yeah at least hashtag women empowerment queen susan need no rude men in your life yeah. But also, is Prince Rabidash a Pokemon? Rabidash, go! Yeah, it's... He's also a horse, but this time made out of fire. Yeah, Balder, Rabidash sounds to me like Balderdash, uh, which great is... Great game. But great game. Things that your you know, great-grandpa may have yelled in, in when he was upset. Uh, oh, Balderdash. It's up uh, your toe. Rabidash. Rabidash. Uh, Rapidash is also the Pokemon. So there's there's a lot of things and, uh, you know, could be anything. But uh, apparently he is uh, not a not a great guy. Uh, and they, you know, he's very different than what they used to know. And I enter my favorite character who has zero significance uh, and does not matter to the plot except to share some details uh, and to provide some great metaphors. And that's Salopad the Raven. Salopad the Raven, Chase. All he does is provide some fun metaphors and sayings, idiomatic phrases. And then he's going to also, you know, share some really important details about how to escape. Uh, but are really known for their metaphoric language. Yeah. Uh, so this raven uh, goes, uh, you know, it's an old saying. See the bear in his own den before you judge of his conditions. And then, you know, he has a dwarf friend who says, come live with me and you'll know me. And I'm just, you know, curious if they're like, they're, they're where they're getting these phrases from chase. Like these are, these are idiomatic phrases, I guess, in Narnia. Uh, but, uh, Ooh, good, but also good advice, especially good advice. for anyone out there who's looking to start dating Maybe uh, 
get get a whole vibe before taking it to the next level. Don't yeah. uh, don't assume that someone is the way they are on the first date all the time. Yeah, uh, you know, want to make sure that we're uh, not not a uh, see the bear in his own den. We're not a uh, we're not make we're making sure that you're we're not proposing uh, you know cohabitation. Uh, but what we are proposing is get to know them, find out how they treat other people, find out how they treat their friends and family. Uh, a good rule of thumb that I've always heard is, uh, you know, how does someone treat people who are like in service of them, like either an employee or like, like, you know, someone who is like a waiter at a restaurant? How do they how do they treat, you know, people who are like serving them? And if it's bad, that's, you know, it's generally not a good thing. And that's what you see here. in Rabadash. It's a it's a good call. Also, something I'd like to yell at every Christian college couple I've ever met is, you don't have to get married when you're 19. You don't. It's okay. But uh, so we we find out that he is not this good dude that they once thought. Instead, he is actually proud, bloody, luxurious cruel and a self-pleasing tyrant which is quite a heavy accusation but i guess it's probably fair um and how c.s lewis got my tinder profile on here (laughs) this is a uh it's an interesting way to describe yourself chase i think you could probably edit that and get some better results uh but what do i know the the real bad results are just because i send hi as my only message for every start. Also, I don't use Tinder, just for, for the record. Oh, okay. Uh, but they decide, let us leave Tashban this very instant, and then Edmund gets very serious, Chase, and he declares, hey, check the door for spies. We're going to talk in private. We need to make sure that we uh, you know, talk calmly and because we must talk in secret now. Yeah, but also feels a little late because if you're already saying out loud before this, yeah. you're not planning to marry him. Isn't that the thing that the plan that you're about to cook up after securing the room is to avoid telling him? Like, yeah. It's uh, it feels like the purpose has been defeated. You know, but it's- some would say, uh, but whatever. But then the chapter just ends. This is a yeah. thing where it's like C.S. Lewis is a big fan of the like the hanging uh, like end of a chapter. This this one feels a little forced, where it's just like we must talk in secret. Uh, and yeah, then it feels like this chapter and next chapter could have been one chapter, but also it's a children's book, so we had to cut it in half. Sure, it's, how several these have felt so far. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, Chase, do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? No. Cool. I'm going to start us off uh, with my my further up and further in is the power of contrast. Uh, And what we see a lot in this chapter uh, is um, a a really good display of C.S. Lewis taking this principle of when you display things that are wildly different, not just saying these things are different, but when you show uh, in your writing, in your story building, uh, that these things are wildly different, if not completely opposite from each other, you can display a lot about plot and character, personality, morality, purpose, and more without directly stating this is what these things are like. So Shasta sees the difference between 
Tashban and his own home. He sees the difference between uh, his upbringing, uh, the lives of the people in Tashban, me uh, and the other Kalarmines. He sees the difference in the lives of the Narnians, how they, he sees how people treat other people, this hierarchy and sense of importance in Kalarmine versus how Narnians treat each other, especially like the king and queen treating the people that uh, are with them. Uh, and he's seeing these things. And as he's recognizing the difference between these things and uh, and how vastly opposite things are, you can come to your conclusions and the audience can come to the conclusion that some things are better, some things are worse, some things are good, some things are not. Um, you know, this is, it's a really good way of trying to uh, explain an issue that is like, hey, this is, this is, might be a problem. Sometimes the best way to recognize an issue is to see that something better actually exists or to see something be like, oh, this is not how things should be. So uh, there's a book series uh, written by Brandon Sanderson uh, called Mistborn. And in the first book, this is not like a big spoiler or anything. Uh, there, The land has, uh, you know, it's really, there's like ash that always falls from these like volcanoes and stuff. Uh, they, all the plants are, they, can't, they don't grow properly. And so they're all brown because uh, uh, of random reasonings. And the two main characters are talking at one point. And they go and one of them mentions how, you know, everything is brown and it shouldn't be. And the person who is being trained, the person learning is like, well, what other color would they be? Because she doesn't know anything other than this. Uh, And he goes green. Everything should be green. And she's like, what a weird concept that is, that plants would be green. And you as the audience hear this and go, well, of course, plants are green because, you know, that's chlorophyll. We learned about that in third grade. Uh, But she's unaware that this is something that is good. So it's a way for her and thus the audience to recognize, oh, something is wrong. This isn't just their their world, like plants grow brown here, but like, no, things aren't good. Something happened that made things not be okay. Uh, and so uh, I love this idea of contrasting things and cross that, contrasting ideas to show that something is wrong. Something is not how it should be. Yeah. For my further up and further in, I went down a similar strain, but uh, specifically tuning in on the uh, contrast of poverty and the way that that shows a certain morality that C.S. Lewis is trying to communicate. Because one of the central themes running through this chapter is the rich versus the poor, the haves and the have-nots. Um, so there's Erevis looking down on Shasta for not being the son of a Tarkin. There's the guards making fun of Shasta for being with a rich man's horse. There's the unwashed masses having to stop and cram together to let the quote-unquote important people through. The Narnian's house is the most comfortable place Shasta has ever been. Like This chapter is full of this distinction between the rich and the poor. And one of the chief markers of the morality of a society is how it treats the poor and marginalized within it. Like the Bible even talks about this. The most common thing you see God judging cities and cultures for in the Old Testament is how they treat the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the outsiders. One of the things C.S. Lewis is trying to do here is show the kind of implicit issues with a society that upholds the rich and powerful but crushes its own poor. And he doesn't have to lay it out like I am now. He doesn't have to say, well, as you can see, this is bad. No, he simply shows things like Kel was saying that we think could believably happen to poor, helpless kid like Shasta, 
not even the worst things that could happen to an orphan like this, by the way, but it's contrasted with the way that self-important and rich people are treated by the very same city, the very same people. It all calls into question the order of our cultures and how we should think about the poor and marginalized. And I found it to be a really interesting aspect of this chapter uh, as it was a big thrust of it. Right on. Well, Chase, we have made our way into Tashban, and uh, now it's time to make way, make way for for other important podcasts because, uh, you know, uh, or just things that you're going on in your life. Who knows? But uh, a way that you could make way for this podcast to be even more important is to go and find us wherever you find podcasts, to share our podcasts on social media. Go follow us on Instagram at, at the Chronicles of Podcast. Uh, share our share when our episodes are coming out. Tell your friends about us, uh, and then you know go like, rate, and review us. Uh, five stars uh, anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, if you found this one, you probably can find it again. But help share our podcast so that uh, you know we can not get stuck in traffic jams, and instead we can uh, make our way through the city uh, with of complete importance. Peace out. Bye. <laughs> Thought you were going to do any kind of checkout, and then nope. <laughs> it felt fine. Right who, on. Who, oh, it, it'll end up being cut. Hey, it's all, it all works out. Uh, BT Dubs, I like, so your audio was cutting in and out sometimes. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And That's, so. Okay. So. Yeah, hopefully it's not crazy. Maybe it'll be. I mean, probably not. It probably won't make it in, but it'll be fine. It is what it's it is. Not I a mean, great podcast. It's a fifth-rate podcast at best. Hey, we're the best fifth-rate podcast there is, Chase.